Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's fifth edition. We're going to be talking about why you should avoid IBC. My name is John Montoya. Hey, everybody. This is John Parings. All right. Well, hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Uh, we usually talk about why you should get started with IBC. And this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about why you should avoid IBC. A bit counterintuitive, but I think it's important to get both sides of your brain working so that you can see the light and make sure that, uh, you know, if you are going to do IBC, you're doing it for the right reasons and it fits your situation. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Awesome. Yeah, I like this topic a lot. So number one, what's, what's a good reason why a person should not do IBC? I think, um, you know, one of the things is if there is a short term need for cash, you know, like if you're, if you're buying a house in a few months or, you know, you recently started a business and your, your revenues aren't quite stable, um, it might make more sense to, you know, get that figured out first and um, before jumping into IBC, depending on, you know, what your overall picture looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, if you have a short-term need for money, uh, example, really big example being buying a house within mm -hmm. a few months. Uh, definitely not, not wise to get started with IBC if the allocation of capital is within 60 to 90 days and that, that's your main source of funding for the policy. Mm -hmm. uh, things just don't happen that quickly in the life insurance world. You, you really want to use that money for what you have it planned for in, in particular, if, if that is buying a house. Uh, I think also too, if you don't have an emergency account saved up yet, yes, you got to get that going. Absolutely. I just had a conversation with somebody last week about that. Yeah. If, if you haven't squared away, you know, expenses uh, to, to carry you through, you know, at least three months, minimum and you know probably should be uh maybe even a little bit more than that depending on your on your situation but if you don't have that emergency fund set up really you got to get that going before you yeah. start thinking about ibc yep and you know if um if you have a good advisor you know one of their skill sets is going to be you know finding money that might be currently getting away from you you know in the form of either taxes, interest, you know, um, sometimes people are paying higher premiums than they have to on other insurance. And so, you know, that's something that an advisor might be able to help you out with. But, you know, if you don't have anything saved up, then, you know, that, that should be a, I think a priority before you start adding premium payments to your, uh, to your financial life. Yep. And so if you're thinking about, putting together a emergency fund because you haven't done that. So you're, you're actually thinking long-term and it gets us to the next reason why you should avoid IBC. It's, it's if you're not yet accustomed to thinking long-term. In fact, you're, you have a short-term mentality when it comes to your thinking. And so an example of, of thinking short-term would be you know, I'm chasing rate of return. I want to hit home runs. Um, you're even okay with losing 
a good percentage of your money because you're willing to take that risk. That type of mindset and profile does not match with the IBC mindset of thinking long-term and building a foundational, um, a foundational piece that is always growing within your overall portfolio. So being able to think long-term, extremely important. If you got that short-term mindset where you're chasing rate of return, IBC is not for you, at least not from the outset, not until you change that mindset. I totally agree. And man, that really just ties into so many different um, aspects that we could go on all day about. But, you know, I think a big problem with today's um, financial mindset is, um, you know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with um, going for a rate of return as long as the uh, allocation is correct. But what most people do is they take their entire the entire amount of money that they're saving for their retirement and they put it all at risk. They chase that rate of return with everything. And, um, you know, that's really one of the things that we try to shore up is that, you know, if you have at least something that is guaranteed that allows you to take some risk in other areas of your life. And, um, you know, so that, that, that short term rate of return mindset is, uh, you know, we can help you have that more safely, but if that's all you're thinking about, then this is definitely not, not for you. Yeah. And and so just to build on that saving money is different from investing. Right. So most people think that they're saving money by putting money into a 401k that is investing. That is not saving. That's right. So you have to understand the differences between saving and investing first and foremost. And with IBC, what you're doing is saving. Yep. Creating those sources of capital. Correct. It's a long-term strategy. It requires long-term thinking and it also requires discipline, meaning you have to stay the course, right? It's not like, investing in the market where you could be jumping in and out of different funds or different stocks where this is a the IBC have to have the discipline to stay the course. So if you plan on building this pool of money, becoming your own banker, you have to be able to see it through to the end. And what that means is, You know, if you commit to a plan where you're putting X amount of dollars in per month or maybe per year for a set number of years, you stick to that plan. And, and this, um, you know, kind of makes me think of the, you know, the, there's a, I don't know if I'd call it an issue. Maybe it's an issue with some of the people that, um, you know, like to put out YouTube videos about short pay policies and, you know, we've already talked about this in previous episodes, but this lack of discipline reminds me of these short pay policies where people are just, it gets into short-term thinking as well. They're looking for these, you know, to try to make these look like something else. They're trying to make dividend paying whole life insurance look like something else. And it's not, it's a long-term strategy that requires discipline as you're saying, and the more, and the more discipline you have and the longer you can pay premiums, 
the better that long-term strategy performs. And so um, it's a, uh, it is the chasing shiny objects idea. It's like, you're, it's almost like they're trying to turn whole life insurance into some other shiny object. When, if they just refocus what it really does, they could, they could just, you know, go leaps and bounds above where, wherever else they think they're going right now. Right. And so I, I think with that discipline comes accountability uh, mm -hmm. to yourself and to your wealth, because one of the things that I've learned with IBC for myself is that when I take policy loans, I need to be disciplined to pay those policy loans back yes. as quickly as possible for my cash flow. And right. what other strategy can you think of that makes you more accountable to your wealth than IBC? The big distinction between someone who practices IBC versus someone who doesn't is the value that they put on those dollars within their own banking system. Because if you're taking out a loan and you're setting up a system of repayment of those loans back to the policy, you're, you're placing a ton of value on those dollars that you're using so that you can reuse those same dollars again and again and again. It's not a one-time use uh, strategy. You know, if you put money into a bank, you put money into a 529, uh, you put money into a 401k, those are all essentially one-time uses. Mm -hmm. You fill up the tank and then you deplete it. And as such, you're, playing, you're placing very little value on those future dollars because you're only going to use it once. And then you got to go through the process of refilling that tank. And in doing so, you're interrupting that compounding curve that happens within your IBC pool of policies. So you shouldn't really do IBC if you've got that mentality that you're not going to place very much value on your dollars. I mean, Nelson Nash did such a great thing for the, the financial world for regular people. Because if you look at your financial life, you know, his, his analogy about the grocery store and not stealing the peas. And what that means is not, not being an honest banker with your own financial life, because most people, they just look at their money and they think of it, they think of it as a pile that, you know, hopefully they get a rate of return on, but they're always thinking about, you know, what, what can they spend it on? But if they, if they changed their, their perspective on what their cash is, what their money is, if they looked at it like inventory, where if every piece of inventory that you let out of your store that you don't get paid on is a, is a form of, it's a loss. And you're, but nobody thinks of money that way. And so that is a, that's a thing that if you, if you start to, what if money had value? Most people say cash has no value. You know, that's like a kind of common financial planning idea that cash has no value. So there's no point in having it. Well, what if it did, you know, and by the way, it does, especially if you, if you can, you know, open your eyes to using whole life insurance, if cash has value, how would that change your, your financial behavior? Yeah. Think of it this way. When, when you go to borrow money from a traditional bank, you expect to pay the bank interest. That's right. You turn it around and you deposit money in a bank. You expect to earn interest. But when you spend your cash, there's always, there's always an opportunity cost there. 
That's right. I think part of the reason why people might struggle to understand IBC is because they they struggle to understand the importance of policy loans. Yeah. What What do you mean by that? That's interesting. So, you know, the way that I teach it, I tell people they can access money from a life insurance policy, a whole life policy, three ways. We call it the sad way, the dumb way, and the smart way. Just makes it easy for everybody to remember. The sad way, obviously, there's a death benefit attached to this contract. So you pass away, your beneficiary is going to receive the death benefit. That's the sad way. The dumb way is to take a withdrawal from this money because it'll, it'll break that compounding curve right. of growth within the policy. Not only that, it could be a taxable situation when you take a withdrawal. Yeah. So the smart way to do it is to take a policy loan because the cash value that you're accumulating, it's collateral for that loan, right? So when you take a loan, it's a, it's a non-taxable event. You're not physically withdrawing your own money. You're actually borrowing it from the life insurance company. It allows the money to continue to grow. And now you can use it tax-free for anything that you can think of. So that's the smart way to do it. And people struggle with, with policy loans because they don't place any value on their cash, right? They're, they're accustomed to paying cash and then refilling the tank. And they don't understand if they have a, a strategy in place for their cash long-term, they get to see that money grow uninterrupted throughout their lifetime while still being able to use it someplace else. And so the importance of policy loans is, is really vital to, to understanding and practicing IBC. If you don't take advantage of policy loans, it, it's, it's what we've talked about in previous podcasts. It's the difference between an employee mindset versus a, a business owner mindset. It's, that's a good imagery, the, the depleting the tank and filling it back up as opposed to you know, creating an ever-growing tank, right? Um, that's, a. I I like that. I like that imagery. Thank you. So let's talk about the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, this is an important one because health is something that we take for granted. And some people just assume that they're always going to be able to qualify. And it just so happens we'll talk to someone, um, and it happens seems to, you know, the more people you talk to, the more often it happens. Uh, some people just don't have a clean health history, uh, they're, meaning they're uninsurable. To do IBC, you have to be in good health if you want a policy on yourself. Now, we can talk about um, being the owner of someone else that might have, uh, you might have an insurable interest in. So that's another way to go. Mm -hmm. But if we're strictly just keeping it simple and we're talking about your, your situation, you do have to be in good health. So if, if you don't have a, uh, a healthy lifestyle, or for some reason, you know, there, there's something in your, in your medical background, um, that will prevent you from getting a life insurance policy. Uh, well, you know, unfortunately IBC is not going to be a good solution for you unless there's someone else, maybe a spouse, family member, even a business partner that we could then look at. So you do have to be in good health. You do have to be insurable to do IBC. Yeah. And that, that just goes back to that long-term strategy as well, where, you know, the, the 
we want to create a situation where we have the ability to make payments into, you know, we want a place to put cash for as long as possible. And so, you know, something to think about is even if you're insurable now, you may not be insurable in the future to start that next policy. So having that long-term mindset um, ties into this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people, and I shouldn't say a lot of people, but this is the mindset that I'll come across when I talk to people where they, uh, they don't get started right away. And mostly this is with the younger people mm -hmm. because yep. they don't see the value of locking in their insurability. Yes. And so they'll wait and they might wait six months to a year. I've had some wait longer than that. And the, the thing that always just uh, makes me feel uneasy is that over the years, and I've been doing this a long time, I've seen people put off getting started only to become uninsurable. Yeah. And it's, it's regret that's twofold. It's regret on my side that I, I couldn't give a convincing argument right. for even starting something small, right. you know, or locking in their insurability with something as simple as a, a 10 year or 15 year term policy. That way they have the option to convert that term yes. within the next 10 to 15 years guaranteed. Right. Convertible term. Yes. Convertible term. Correct. So, and then of course it's regrettable on their side because they realize, well, it's you know what? Late. It's too late. Yeah. It's too late. They wanted to get going, but for whatever reason they put it off and now they can't. Can I just make a quick aside about convertible term insurance with the disability waiver of premium? This is a whole other thing, but can I just say that's one of the most powerful things I've seen out there where you can, for 50 bucks a month, lock in, you know, millions of dollars of, of life insurance death benefit that if you become disabled, you can convert it and get the, this huge permanent insurance premium paid on your behalf. That'll be more like, you know, uh, $500 a month or more. And they pay that on your, on your behalf. It's like, it's, it's one of the most uh, powerful financial uh, tools that I've seen out there that if you, if you can only pay a little bit now, it could be a huge benefit in the future. Totally agree. Uh, but I do want to add, it's not a flat $50. It's, it's based off of the death benefit you're, you're yeah. looking for your age, <laughs> yeah. the health rating right. that you get. I would love that it was, if, <laughs> if it were just $50 a month for a million dollars worth of coverage or millions of dollars worth of coverage. Yeah. That, that's, that's a total <laughs> no brainer. It's um, but it's not a flat 50. Just thanks for covering me. Thanks yeah. for covering my butt yeah. on that. Sure. No problem. No problem. Getting back to why you should avoid IBC, uh, we talked about being uninsurable. Well, you also have to have a budget. You know, we talk about um, sticking to your plan. Well, you got to create that plan first and foremost. And so if you are an adult, and I say if you're an adult because uh, we have plenty of clients who are doing um, policies on their kids now, but if you are an adult, there, there is a minimum premium to, to make an IBC policy work, at least be optimized so you can take advantage of the paid up additions writer. And so if, uh, if you're an adult and you have, uh, I'd say around $500 a 
a month as a ballpark because it mm-hmm. depends on age, uh, $500 a month to get started. That's kind of the, the minimum threshold. You, you might be able to get by with a little bit less, but um, anything I'd say less than that, uh, you, you should probably be working on increasing your cash flow so that you can get started with that $500 a month budget to start IBC. Anything less than that, then we've got to look at being creative from the very outset, if not, um, you know, coaching you towards some way of increasing that cash flow. Yeah, you know, sometimes there there are things that can be fixed with, you know, budgeting, um, you know, controlling costs. And, and, you know, that might be anything, you know, if it's less than that, that might be a good opportunity to, you know, just look at some some simple convertible term insurance that we mentioned before, so that you have that protection, especially if you have a family. Um, and then as you're building up to having more cash flow, we can convert some of that term insurance over with your locked in health rating um, guaranteed. Perfect. Yep. Uh, glad you mentioned the convertible term there because that's exactly where it would fit in. If your budget's not there, let's look at a term. Let's let's get that health locked in. You've got the protection. You've got enough death benefits so that you can start your IBC plan when you're ready and you've got that cash flow ready to go. Yep. Perfect. Yep. What about people who love to be taxed on the growth every year? That's a good reason not to do IBC. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you like paying taxes, yeah. then keep doing what you're doing. You, you, um, you know, the, the government is starved for revenue. So um, on, on that note, if you want to, you know, make additional contributions um, to support, you know, whatever the, the government is expanding into, um, continue to do what you're doing, pay your taxes, pay more. Um, but if you have the mentality that, you know, you want to minimize your taxation, then IBC is a great place to, to park money because you're not going to be taxed on that growth every single year. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a snarky uh, comment, and, and I think we're going to get a little bit snarkier as, as we go on here. But uh, yeah, if uh, if you're paying a lot of taxes on on your assets, you're, you're not being efficient with your money. So you really would want to consider IBC to redirect a portion of your assets, minimize your taxes, and get it working more efficiently for you. Yeah, same with tax deferral. I mean, any I haven't talked to anyone lately who thinks taxes are going to be lower than they are now in the future. And so, you know, a lot of people are really focusing on deferring tax in a period where, by the way, we're in a historically very low tax period right now, um, combined with lots of trillions and trillions of dollars of unfunded obligations, unfunded liabilities. Um, I don't think anyone thinks taxes are going to be lower in the future. And so are we, are we paying, are we deferring tax while they're on sale right now, essentially only to pay it later in the future when they're going to be higher? Everything points to higher taxes in the future. I personally like to position myself where I'm paying as little that I have to, whether it's today or, you know, years down the line, I just want to be in control of that situation as much as I can. Yep. And, you know, there are a lot of people who can't qualify for Roths 
So, you know, sometimes I'll ask them the question, well, if you could qualify, how much would you put in there? And, um, you know, that might be a good idea of how much premium you'd be willing to pay on tax exempt whole life insurance. Yeah, I like that. That's a great question to ask. Let's let's move on to the next one. And uh, note of sarcasm here, and I have to include that note because my wife often tells me she can't tell my joking voice from my serious voice, but here you go. Let's see if you can tell. You agree with your broker and you should have all your assets in a market-based portfolio. <laughs> yeah, Unless, I mean. If that's you, you agree, you should have all your assets in the market you should not start IBC. You should avoid IBC. If you look at a hierarchy um, of where money should be going, you know, the, the base of that, of that pyramid, if you were to make a pyramid out of it, should be, you know, cash, you know, things that you have control, things that have guarantees. And the top of that pyramid would be, you know, stock market investments, things where you have no control, no collateral, you know, um, you take all the risk. And most people take their money from their paycheck, which is at the bottom of the pyramid, and they go right to the top of the pyramid with it. And um, it's, uh, it's a little bit backwards these days. Yeah. Well, that's a great visual. That was, that was spot on. So let's, let's keep going here. Um, if, if you're one to think, well, okay, I want all my money in the stock market, um, then you might, you might uh, relate to this one. Uh, you enjoy real life drama, conundrums, and anxiety caused by the 24 hour news cycle. And going further, you're okay with not knowing where your money will be when you need it six months from now, 20 years from now, or whenever. If that sounds like your ideal situation, you should also avoid IBC. Right. <laughs> You know, uh, it's such a tricky thing because no one, no one really wants to look in the eye, um, you know, the kind of the fragility that I think we're in right now with the market. And even if it's not, even if, even if we're not fragile, no one knows what's going to happen with the market and no one's willing that to look in the eye. They're told that as long as you invest for the long term, you're going to be all right you're going to get this high average rate of return. Meanwhile, the long term eventually becomes the short term and average rates of return don't really mean anything. <laughs> you can get an you can get a positive average rate of return and still lose money, by the way. And so, um, yeah, it's like e people are either getting anxiety or like they're worrying about how their retirement account is doing or they're turning a blind eye to it. Well, let me say they're either worrying about it and they don't know what to do about it. And so they just keep doing what they're doing or they turn a blind eye to it and pretend like it's not a problem. And they just kind of hope it works out either way, but their plans are based on hope. Right. And, and Nelson said this best. He said, IBC is a stress-free way of living. Right. And that's absolutely the case. So Some people think stress-free equals boring, which is kind of true, <laughs> but um, you know, so IBC is definitely not as exciting until you learn what you can do with that cash value with other types of investments that don't require you to take all the risk that you have to do with the stock market. Right. But th there, there is no drama with IBC whole life policies. Right. In fact, when, when the market is going sideways or going down, 
You know, if, if a client calls me up and, and says, Hey, how's my cash value doing? I ask them, well, did you put money into it this year? Yeah. Great. Well, you have more than you did last year. Right. And that's even the case if, you know, you've stopped funding your policy for whatever reason. Yep. The cash value continues to grow every single year. So, you know, what you may be watching in the news, you know, watching, you know, uh, market watch or whatever the case may be has absolutely no effect on what's happening within your whole life policy. That's right. That's right. Some people think they're going to live forever. We kind of touched on this where the, especially young people they they really don't put a, they don't put a high value on what their health could be in the future. I was certainly like that. So I, I know what that's like. It's really hard to, you know, convey that to young people. That's why I'm always like super happy when I get a, you know, someone in their twenties or early thirties that comes in and, and sees the value in this. I'm like, man, you are, you are doing it right, my friend. And, um, it's it's ahead of the curve. Yeah. It's hard to relay that to like, if you tried to tell me my 30 year old self that I'd be like, whatever, (laughs) not worried about it. (laughs) And, um, you know, one, one thing, I'll add on to the idea of like not realizing the value of your health and having a death benefit. And, you know, it's easy to understand why a young person would feel that way because they probably don't have a family yet. They're like, I, you know, I just don't need that death benefit protection. I'll be healthy forever. You know, so you understand that the other side of it though, is thinking about someone you want to pass something along to. I've heard people say that they're not concerned about passing along, you know, any kind of, you know, wealth to the next generation. But then on the flip side of that, I have never talked to anyone who's in their 60s, 70s, or 80s who just lost, lost their life insurance because they had term life or they'd never had any. Um, they were never happy about it. And it's amazing how much that mindset shifts as you get older in life to want to pass something along, you know, even if you don't have kids, people want to pass something along to like a niece or a nephew or, you know, brother or sister, even if it's, um, you know, someone that's not even related by blood to them, that becomes, it becomes very important to them later on in life. And that, which is also another difficult idea to convey to someone that's not in that situation. And so, um, but it, it, I mean, you know, I've been in the business much less time than you. And, and I've already seen that to be true many times. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're the type of person who thinks you're going to live forever and you've got kids, but those rotten stinking kids be damned. Um, and you're okay with your spouse having to possibly remarry for money. Uh, because you know, people do do that and they do think that way. Um, IBC also is not for you. Right. Right. I've never had this happen, but I've heard other advisors talk about how someone will say, well, they'll just remarry, but that usually is never stated in front of the spouse. <laughs> it's usually something <laughs> right. that they'll say. Right. So, so it's not, it, it, it's just another thing that um, people, it's hard to, it's hard to think that way unless you really spend some time and think about it, like what are all the second and third order effects of you not being there and, and you also not having your income replaced. 
and also you not being able to replace the value of your assets when you get a little bit older. And so, you know, a lot of people just look at life insurance and they think of like, you know, oh, I'll get a million dollar death benefit or something like, and that'll, that should be all right. But no one ever, no one ever really thinks about how much they should have, um, you know, based on, based on math and a strategy. No, not many people do that. They just think, you know, I'll just take, I have a little bit with my company that should be fine. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, it's, it's. Life insurance tends to be an afterthought and, you know, the thing about the thing about IBC is that the death benefit will continue to grow over time. So even though it's an afterthought in the beginning for most people, it ends up being the most efficient way to own a lot of life insurance death benefit in your lifetime. Uh, and, and, you know, there's people out there that have that mentality of, well, term is all I need. And, you know, you spend any amount of time on the internet and oh my God, there's no shortage of oh, people yeah. trying to convince you that all you need to do is buy term, invest the difference and everything's going to work out. Okay. And oh my God, I, I just, I, I'm honestly just in disbelief at, at how people think. And I know Nelson yep. would say, well, you know, people don't really think they think they think. And, and mm-hmm. you read those things on the internet about term insurance and, and how that's the only way to go. It's right. one way to go, but the only way I, yeah. I don't agree with that. Um, but yeah, if, 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 you know, you got a buddy in Primerica who sold you a policy, a term policy, because that's all they sell, uh, thinking that those are the cheapest policies, uh, not just from Primerica, but term policies in general. If you think those are the cheapest policies, I hate to tell you, my friend, but you are um, uninformed or you're being misinformed because term policies are actually the most expensive life insurance policies you'll ever buy. And the reason why is because after that first day, when you receive that contract, that policy will actually get more expensive than any other type of uh, whole life policy that you could have considered in its place. And that might, that might get you thinking, well, how is that possible if a term policy is so cheap? And and the reason why is this, uh, the cost of owning that policy and I say owning uh, with air quotes because you don't really own it. You're just renting it for 10, 20, or 30 years. That term policy ultimately becomes the most expensive life insurance policy that you can quote unquote own because at a, at a point in the future, you're going to outlive it. Mm-hmm. And what happens to all those dollars that you put into it? It's gone forever. Right gone forever that's it so people get um they talk about cost but that's not the full net compound cost it's really just the price the price of term insurance for the premium is lower but the cost is much much higher right there's a saying i I used to share quite frequently uh price is what you pay value is what you get Mm -hmm. and if you're so price conscious that you've got to pay the least amount for something, especially when it comes to life insurance, where you're going to get ultimately very little value for it. 
Whereas if you look at IBC and all the value that you get in one place for each dollar that you contribute to it, there's no better place that I've personally found where you can get as much value as a IBC designed whole life policy. That's amazing. And you know, for the, if you're a rich dad, poor dad fan, you know, the poor and middle class buy liabilities, the rich buy assets. So do you want to buy a liability or do you want to buy an asset? That's, Absolutely. you know, it could be simplified like that. Yeah. And, and we want to be working with the people who have the right mindset and who want to accumulate assets. Because if you're in the mode of accumulating assets, you're going to make IBC part of your portfolio. Right. Got a lot of people we can, uh, we could be talking to out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, th there, there's no doubt about that because at the, at the end of the day, everybody needs a foundation yeah. of, of wealth of cash that they can right. have access to over and over and over again. But yeah. you know, there, there's a few requirements like we've touched on, right? You have to have that long-term mindset. You have to have the discipline. You have to be accountable to your wealth. You do have to be in good health or failing that have an insurable interest in someone who does have good health and can qualify for an IBC policy. You do have to have the, the cash flow budget and the ability to stick to that plan. Um, you've, you've got to realize that, you know, you should put savings ahead of investing and along in that vein, uh, you, uh, you do have an overall diversified portfolio. You can't be a hundred percent in the market. That's, I don't know how that's good and safe for anyone. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it takes the right type of ingredients to make IBC work. Uh, but if you're, if, you know, you, you don't have any one of these ingredients, I, I don't think IBC is the right place for you. So you have to, you have to do what's right for you, but, um, hopefully we got you thinking with this episode on why you should avoid IBC. Um, if uh, you have thoughts or questions that you want to reach out to us, you can, you can do so at the fifth edition.com. Uh, John, anything else you might like to add? No, this is great. Great talking with you again. Awesome. Likewise. Well, uh, let's do it again next week and for everyone, uh, be safe and we'll, uh, we'll connect with you on the next show. See you, everybody.